Welcome to Credits Due, the podcast where we break down an actor's filmography one movie at a time. I'm Ben Cron, and joining me today is Tyler Owen. I just took a DNA test. Turns out I'm 100% white. <laughs> and Neil Potter. In a world where we've seen detectives in Blade Runner, you've seen Harrison Ford as Blade Runner, and now see him in this 1985 classic Blade Runner Amish. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's basically the same movie. Yeah, you're right. I don't know how I didn't notice that before. (laughs) Um... (laughs) <laughs> and yes, uh, excellent tease there, uh, Neil, because we are talking about, of course, the uh, 1985 movie Blade Runner Amish. Uh, wait. <laughs> nope, sorry. That is uh, the movie Witness. It's directed by Peter Weir. It is written by William Kelly and Pamela Wallace. Um, and it stars Harrison Ford, Kelly McGillis, and Lucas Haas. Uh, it is about when a young Amish boy is sole witness to a murder, policeman John Book goes into hiding in Amish country to protect him until the trial. Um, as always... We'll start off with some film trivia on the movie, then we'll get into some box office, then we'll dive into our full spoiler-filled discussion on the movie Witness, then ending with some final thoughts on Harrison Ford, uh, and then then we'll leave things with some recommendations. So, Tyler, you want to start this off with some film trivia? Sure thing. Yeah, every episode I put together four pieces of trivia about our film, and I've made up one of them completely, and you guys figure out which one it is. So for number one, an actual barn was built as a result of shooting the barn raising scene. Unfortunately, the barn was torn down shortly afterward. Number two, the Amish boy is played by Lucas Haas. He would go on to have a successful career, even starring in the films of A-list directors like Woody Allen, Gus Van Sant, Tim Burton, and Christopher Nolan. Number three, Rachel asks John, you know carpentry? He replies, a bit. This is a reference to the fact that Harrison Ford was a carpenter before he became an actor. And number four, the National Committee for Amish Religious Freedom surprisingly endorsed the film under the condition that the exact filming locations not be revealed out of fear they would become overrun by tourists. The Amish, in fact, do not like to be photographed, and consequently there were no actual Amish people cast in the film. They were quoted saying that the film positively reflects the the qualities of our people and depicts our culture in a respectful, if sometimes exaggerated, nature. All right, who wants to go first? Which one is the fake? Neil wants to go oh, first. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> I want to yeah. go first. Okay. Oh, man. See, your whole last one, I was thinking something along those lines that entire movie. Like, would I was like, is this accurate? And then I was like, would they even see this movie? Like, <laughs> so, like I was like, I don't know what the Amish people are thinking. And if this is like, it seemed true to life to me, but like, I don't, I don't know. Um, but 
I think I'm going to go with it as the fake for, because uh, I, I don't know. I'm going to go with that one. The last one is the fake just because it's too long and there's too many details that you can fuck around <laughs> with. All right. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, this is a tough one. I, I I feel like all of them are real, but I'm going to take the coward move and just double down behind Neil oh, and say that the, the last one is <laughs> fake. All right. Well, we'll take them in order. Number one, an actual barn was built as a result of shooting the barn raising scene. Unfortunately, the barn was torn down shortly afterward. That is true. Yes, they actually built a barn, even though none of those people were actually Amish. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> they, they built it, and then they took it down. So, How much <clears throat> of the barn did they show? I only remember like the walls going up. In the movie, they, like quite a they bit had, of it. <laughs> yeah, it, like it, you could see a good like three sides of the finished barn in shots after that the the montage. Um, so it was a it, it they at least finished the facade of a barn. Um, <laughs> so whether or not it was complete beyond that, I don't know. But uh, unfortunately, it was all torn down. So. Uh, number two, <laughs> the Amish boys played by Luke Haas. He would go on to star in films from A-list directors like Woody Allen, Gus Van Sant, Tim Burton, and Christopher Nolan. That is true. Uh, he doesn't have big parts in most of those films, but yes, he is a very successful the actor. The only thing I know him from is Mars Attacks. He's like the young guy <laughs> who lives in the trailer park in Mars Attacks. That's right, yeah. Uh, he's in... Uh, you, you, I'm sure you'll know him from Inception. Um, yeah, I'm. Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think that. I mean, that's on his IMDb page. That's the first one. Yeah. Um, weirdly, uh, Tyler, you you left off in that list of directors. You left off my boy Ryan Johnson because uh, <laughs> oh. Lucas Haas plays uh, the pin in Brick, which is ah. kind of like the the kingpin character okay yeah yeah no i i just took that one straight from my imdb's trivia page so <laughs> well I'll, I'll be leaving a comment on, on IMDb. Oh, yeah, you better you better add his name to that list of a-list directors <laughs> <laughs> all right number three rachel asks john you know carpentry he replies a bit this is a reference to the fact that Harrison Ford was a carpenter before he became an actor. And yes, that is true. He was a mm. carpenter before he became an actor. Uh, don't have many details on that, really, but uh, I'm sure you could find some information about him. Uh, maybe you'd find a chair he made or something. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which means that number four, you guys both guessed it, is the fake. Uh, the the National Committee for Amish Religious Freedom actually uh, boycotted the film. Oh wow! <laughs> they did not like they did not like the depiction. Um, mostly, it it sounds like mostly they did not appreciate the um, the intrusion and assumptions about their culture mm. uh, without making an effort to really get their input. Um, by all accounts, it's fairly accurate to their uh, their religious beliefs and some of their like cultural things, like not wanting to be photographed. Like there's that sequence at the the 
um, general store where they they don't want to be photographed. That's all those kind of little details are fairly accurate. But yeah, I can I can totally understand why you know the Amish would not be exactly thrilled about um, being featured in a film like this. Um, so yeah, they they did not uh, did not endorse it. And uh, but the the true part about that was that because they don't like to be photographed, there were no Amish people cast in the film. So mm, makes a lot of sense. Uh, there were a lot of a lot of Mennonites cast, though. They're kind of similar if you have a familiarity with the the Mennonite yeah. uh, culture and religion. But yeah, uh, kind of interesting there. Interesting. Interesting. So they're okay then with being filmed and stuff. All I guess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, they get they get confused for Amish a lot because they dress, you know, they dress similarly, um, but they're they're not as uh, not as strict on a lot of the like use of technology Mm. and things like that. So sometimes you'll you'll see people like like calling out Amish people driving vans and stuff. And I mean, sometimes those are like more uh, less conservative Amish, but a lot of times those are Mennonites, I think. Mm -hmm. So. That makes sense. Well, cool. After trivia, we tend to get into some box office. So this is Witness, uh, release date of February 8th, 1985, with a runtime of one hour, 52 minutes. Its production budget was 12 million U.S. dollars and has a gross domestic total of 68 point seven million dollars its opening weekend was four and a half million dollars um yeah yeah and i i i'm not gonna say i don't get it i get it like like (laughs) this isn't this doesn't seem like something that people maybe would want to watch i guess like it's got a good cast um i yeah i don't know i i i would have thought that like the combination of Harrison Ford in like a cop drama with the fascination with Amish culture, like would have been something people like, oh, that's weird. I kind of want to see that. I don't know. Yeah. And the poster and the cover where it says Harrison Ford is John Book, like that apparently (laughs) didn't intrigue anybody because everyone's like, who the fuck is John Book? (laughs) Maybe maybe they all heard the soundtrack and were like, oh, I was just going to say that the soundtrack is shit in this entire movie. Right, save it, rap. save it. We're Guys. still in box office. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, obviously that $12 million didn't go far in the, the soundtrack department. Uh, um, <laughs> I think they just took the B-sides from fucking Blade Runner. <laughs> Definitely the first half. Um, uh, uh, do you know what this opened against? Uh, let's see. This would have been 1985. What? Let's see what it opened up against here. It opened in February, which um, back then, for a long time, January and February were dump months because just like no one saw movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> I I was just just about to search for the movie and I almost typed in Blade Runner Amish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man, it is a dumping ground. I've not heard of any of these. So when I was doing trivia, um, I there was a quote from the studio saying that they were disappointed with the sa- the box office return of this movie because they did not expect uh, 
I think was it Beverly Hills Cop um, to do as well as it did, which had come out just like a week or two weeks before. Oh wow! So yeah, I think that's right. Beverly Hills Cop, maybe. Yeah, that's crazy. I yeah, I don't know any of these. Uh, so January. I don't know. No, none of these are rigging a bell. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Like the Falcon and the Snowman. <laughs> Mischief. <laughs> Creepers. Almost you. Isn't that f- Creepers, I think. Or uh, maybe I'm thinking of something else. Isn't that funny, though, how like <laughs> y- you you only remember like good movies from different eras. And so mm-hmm. like you go back into any random weekend and you're just yeah, like, no oh, kidding. shit, there were a lot of bad movies. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I mean, it opened for new movies. It was actually first it's weekend. It was second next to Beverly Hills cop, mm-hmm. which was, yeah, I think that was, um, that, that has a bunch of, yeah, that's like a trilogy, right? Um, yeah, I think that's one of those like comedies that was just like studio exec execs didn't get it so they were just Mm -hmm. like just like release it dude let's do the bare minimum and then Mm -hmm. like everyone was like this is actually really good (laughs) (laughs) and i was just looking up here the first lethal weapon didn't come out till 87 so danny glover hadn't like come out yet like as a bigger Mm -hmm. actor i guess because like Mm -hmm. i saw him i'm like oh shit that's danny glover yeah he's in only like 10 minutes of the movie (laughs) yeah Well, and then Kelly McGillis uh, is the next year she's in Top Gun. So right. like, yeah. it's really, huh. and, and then there's a, there's a, a hidden Viggo Mortensen in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I was going to point yeah. that out if you guys noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Viggo? Yeah. <laughs> Baby face Viggo Mortensen. It was great. He seems to do that a lot. Yeah. He's just like in the background of movies. Well, this was his first film. Whoa. Oh, really? I looked it up because I was like, I got to find out if that's actually him because it looked so much like him. And it turned out, yeah, it's his first movie he's ever he was ever in. Wow, I, that's amazing. I think he said one thing, didn't he? He had one speaking line, maybe. Yeah, yeah, he's like sitting next to him at a table or something, I think. His mm. name is Moses. <laughs> I guess that's the Amish thing. But. Great name. So uh, let's just start off right at the beginning, because um, I thought this whole like intro was pretty incredible, like all leading up, ba- basically everything in um, in the city, uh, which mm-hmm. I want to say, was it Philadelphia they were in? Yeah, I yes. think so. Yeah. So it starts off with a a funeral. Um, they're back in the farm, the Amish farm, and there's a funeral which I did not catch who died like in the entirety of the movie, and I basically pieced together that it's it's Rachel's husband, mm-hmm. correct? Um, yeah, I mean, I assumed I didn't catch any like explicitly referencing that, but okay. Uh, yeah, so then uh, Rachel uh, played by Kelly McGillis, and then her son Samuel, played by Lucas Haas, they need to go into the city, um, or they're going up upstate to like 
do something, I guess. It doesn't matter. But they, on a transfer, they're taking a train transfer in Philadelphia. And the second train is delayed. So they have to stay in the train station for an extended amount of time that becomes even more extended when Samuel goes to the bathroom and he witnesses a brutal as fuck murder, <laughs> which yeah. was yeah. shocking. Uh, it's like, it's almost like, um, it's almost like something David Fincher would do because mm. aside from the, the funeral at the beginning, it's a kind of upbeat, like no stakes, like movie of just this woman and her kid just kind of taking a train mm. And then suddenly, just out of nowhere, three characters are introduced in one scene, and then one of them gets their throat slit (laughs) in the most hardcore way. (laughs) Yeah, apparently uh, Peter Weir, the director, has said that he... He regrets the amount of violence that he depicted in that sequence, mm-hmm. um, but he was trying to like contrast the innocence of the young boy with like the violence and grittiness of the big city. And I mean, it's effective at that. I'll give it that much. Mm-hmm. I think it's incredibly effective, like yeah. just to like instantly make the stakes like super high, mm-hmm. like to just witness a seemingly like random murder. You don't really get context until a couple scenes later. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just, just a random throat slitting in a bathroom. <laughs> and I think the, the part that made that sequence so impactful is the, like the nature of the murderers is like they're suit wearing, like dressed up fancy looking guys. Like mm-hmm. they don't look like the kind of, people who would just like jump somebody in a bathroom and slit their throat right mm-hmm. yeah. so it's like the brutality of the murder combined with like the way they're depicted as like not your standard criminals it mm-hmm. you're like instantly drawn into like okay what is going on what did this kid just witness yeah and then it's planned too how you see them like nod at each other like right mm-hmm. before they they tackle the guy right um so it's not like it's not like you know, it's not a random altercation. Like it mm-hmm. was, right. it was planned at least from the two murderers. Right. Um, and then, yeah, when he like, when the kid makes noise in the bathroom stall and then like, uh, the guy like kicks open every door, mm-hmm. like looking for him. Like that's some fucking tense shit. Like it yeah, was, it was. Good. <laughs> what a way to open a movie. Right. I think from and then of course what go uh, on. real quick uh, it's Danny Glover as well which yeah. like you said this is kind of like before Danny Glover is Danny Glover so like I think uh, like watching it now it's more impactful to be like oh hey there's there's my friend. There's Danny Glover. <laughs> oh <laughs> shit, he's killing someone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, he's a dastardly bastard in this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that, like, this... Like, right after this scene, though, when, like, they meet uh, Harrison Ford's character, who's, like, the detective on the case, like, asking around, asking what the kids saw, like, I feel like Protocol was not being, like, 
held up after this point. Like, he just takes them to, like, his house, and they just stay with him. Like, <laughs> why? It's like, not even his house. It's his it's sister's, sister's house. house. Yeah, it's like a weird living arrangement for him. And he's just like, yeah, you're staying with me. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, no way. That is not the case. It doesn't. I don't feel like it is anyway, but... I mean, it was the mid '80s. Maybe I, things were different. Yeah, I, guess I, so. I have yeah, no idea. Maybe they didn't have, they couldn't afford like hotel rooms. I guess but I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it is a, a unique situation where you have Amish people who probably don't even know what the heck's going on or how to get around. You know, mm-hmm. right? I, I guess I don't know where else they would go. Like they'd have to stay at the police station otherwise, probably. I, yeah, I, I assume now if if you have one suspect. You'd either make them stay at the police station or, like, the the police department would just put them in a hotel. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I've never been a sole witness to a murder, but <laughs> I kind of, I'm just assuming here. I just You have to say that for legal yeah, reasons. Yeah, thank you. I <laughs> yes. also have not witnessed a murder <laughs> in a bathroom. <laughs> I just feel like... Uh, don't just... Whatever you do, uh, don't talk to my lawyer, my lawyer, uh, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> you fool! He's already he's already given everything away on Fox News about you. So, um, I feel like just that family was taken advantage of, like just because, like, oh, these guys oh, are yeah, Amish. Definitely. Like, I'll just say, hey, this is what we do, and then they're just like, okay, don't kill us with your gun from the hand. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Yeah, and then you get the the sparring between Rachel and John Book, and you're just like, those guys are gonna make out later on. Oh God, (laughs) dude, those she was shooting him eyes this whole show or this whole movie. I was like, if she was like a devout Mormon or not Mormon, sorry, uh, Amish person, (laughs) like I feel like. She was giving him way too many eyes for that. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. John Book. It, yeah, Harrison, Harrison Ford is John Book. That's what it is. <laughs> so the the thing I'll say about that is, like, I, I think it was more of a mistake if the person who died at the beginning was actually her husband. Because that feels cold as ice like, oh, yeah. for her to be like <laughs> yeah. coming on to him, it, assuming she was in a halfway loving relationship at all, you know? Right. Like that just seems like you would not be interested in anything like that, even if you did find him attractive. Like, yeah. but the if, if, but if she's just an Amish person who's like experiencing all this craziness for the first time, I, I could buy that like, she she's young she maybe isn't as uh you kind of see it a little bit later in her rebelliousness with her father right how like she's not she's not like 100 bought into the idea that outsiders are all bad people right mm-hmm. right like she right. she has a, at least a certain level of trust even from the start but she's still suspicious of him so yeah i mean whether or not that makes for a valid like love story here i don't know but i could 100 percent buy like a, a person in a, a overprotective society like that who wants a taste of what it's like on the outside you know right that makes sense but I, I i see where you're coming from there um you guys brought this up earlier but this whole like 
uh, this whole section where they're in the city, the score is, um, like you said, it's the B-sides <laughs> from Blade Runner. God. Oh, my God. And it's all it's like so close to that score that it's yeah. kind of hilarious. I um, don't understand where that choice came from. Like, I mean, there's a point later in the film, like, I can't remember if it was in the climax of the film or if it was when he's like being chased and um, trying to get away at the very beginning. But there's a point where I swear the soundtrack sounded like a Bowser boss fight, like SNES soundtrack (laughs) from like Super Mario. It sounded terrible. It sounded literally right out of like the freaking lava dungeon layer levels in Super Mario. Yeah. Yeah. There was some very bad, like 80s, 80s score in this movie. Yeah, it's weird because like once they're on the farm, it's it's a very like traditional like strings orchestra score. Was it though? Because I felt like it was all still synth. Maybe I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering. But like, it felt very artificial yeah. still. I was just like, the when I noticed it was like right in the beginning, like when they're in Harrison Ford's car driving around, like it's obvious. And I was like, this just feels inappropriate for this like movie. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, totally. It reminds I, yeah, I me of. Sworn... Um, do you guys uh, remember the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? The, that Dope. first movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's... <laughs> it reminds me of that score, but, like, but, like, just shittier. <laughs> like, it, it's the very, like... And there's no bass. Damn um, Ninja there's Turtles a lot of bass. <laughs> That, too, yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, th- this whole... With, like, the whole storyline part I, um, in this first section, I thought was really good and interesting um i really liked his uh his partner Mm -hmm. um who was i'm trying to find the actor but he's really only um is it carter maybe i think it's carter brett jennings is the actor um he really kind of disappears once uh once they leave the city but I just really liked this whole like detective work and then like uncovering that um, Danny Glover is a cop and then like the chief of police is in it and there, there it's like this drug cover up and it really like escalates very quickly mm-hmm. um, all the way to like um, John Book getting like uh, – uh, McPhee, Danny Glover's character McPhee, like shooting John Book um, in this like hilarious shootout because there's like this old couple in an elevator. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, I forgot about that. <laughs> right, right by them. Uh, and then, yeah, then um, they escape. Like, it's not just that, um, uh, you know, the the title of the movie, it's a double meaning, right? Because uh, Lucas Haas, it's not just that Samuel is a witness, but John Book is a witness as well. Mm. Is it is that a double meaning or is yeah. that just a one uh, meaning times dual, two? I, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... <laughs> 
yeah, so they get to um, the farm, and that's kind of where my interest kind of goes in and out. They do this whole long, like, wounded soldier thing where um, Harrison Ford is just bedridden, and he's they're trying to um, heal his bullet wound. And then it kind of goes to, like, him doing farm work and, like, yeah. him learning, meeting, like, the family and all this stuff. And um, it becomes a very different movie. Um, it, it becomes Dances with Wolves, Avatar, <laughs> Pocahontas. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. And I not to say that, like, in a totally negative tone, but it... it it definitely changes the the film like it does a big 180 right like there's mm-hmm. a huge difference between the first act and the second act but i i actually kind of i was kind of into this part to be honest because i thought I, even though that that opening sequence where the kid witnesses the murder i thought was pretty strong i thought the rest of the cop stuff was so cliche and like paint by numbers that i wasn't really into that and so mm-hmm. when we got here i was like okay we get to see like a softer side of harrison ford and see him like really out of his element more than like his other characters that we've watched so far are like characters that are experts at what they do and they like they they get in in sticky situations but they always find a way out of it and they're like they're always in their element and this is the first time i feel like in in this podcast at least in his films where we see him like completely unsure of what to do how to behave and just like trying to do the right thing and i i found that really fascinating Mm -hmm. yeah i didn't mind it yeah i actually kind of liked him just amishing around a bit like I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was pretty good uh, I, I actually kind of enjoyed it and that's where I also was like I don't know how like realistic this is but like I just like the parts where he'll like he'd, he raised the barn he's sipping on a lemonade and just kind of gives a big old smirk he's like this is the yeah. life kind of a thing and I'm like you know what it is that looks kind of peaceful yeah <laughs> um, yeah I think what bothered me about it is that there was just kind of it it seemed like it was just um the girl, her kid, and then uh the girl's dad. And there was kind of this huge like community, but they were very like the community wasn't drawn in much detail. Like there was that blonde dude that kind of had the hots for her for Rachel. Mm-hmm. But like I feel like he was just never like fleshed out. Like he could have been a like a foil right to um to Harrison Ford's character, but and that was kind of there, but it just like there's a lot of pieces, like loose threads that just were never followed. Right. Well, like my thing is like with him, it's like yeah, he could be the foil, and then, like, halfway through the scene, or, like, through the movie, they're like, oh, yeah, he's Amish, so he probably wouldn't do anything to him anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. That That's the sense I got, too. Like, I... I <laughs> I actually kind of appreciated that he he didn't become this like caricature of the jealous Amish dude like sure because I think there's a real danger there of like portraying the Amish here as like 
oh, I'm going to come in to this community and like show them how great I am at being Amish and how like, I, you know, the I could show them how to do stuff a new way and I'll, I'll change this community or whatever. Like there's a real danger of that. Right. And well, yeah, I mean, the three films that you referenced, the Pocahontas and Dancing with the Wolves, like they're they're like white savior movies. Exactly. Like, yeah. That are the the outsider comes in and is just like, I can raise a barn better than you. I'm, right. I've been a carpenter before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I really appreciated the fact that like none of these character, none of the Amish characters were like explicitly portrayed as villains. Like they weren't. They were just concerned about the welfare of the girl and her son, and like making sure that he didn't bring destruction down on their small town. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and I felt like that was all pretty realistically portrayed that they're trying to do the right thing by protecting him and protecting the, the girl and her son. But like, there's a lot of big questions there, right? Like they know that he could bring violence there. And so are, is it right of them to, to house him and all, all these just like interesting little questions. And it wasn't, it wasn't where like anyone there became, like you said, his foil. It, it wasn't, it didn't really become that. I think the, the main flaw of that was actually introducing that blonde haired guy kind of in a way that made you think that was going to happen. And so when mm-hmm. that expectation is upended, it feels like you said that there's a missing thread there. Mm-hmm. And even like the three cops uh, who and who come at the end, like we kind of lose them too. Like they kind of just jump in and out. Yeah. And then like his like John Book's partner dies, but it happens off screen. Like you never see you know, you never see him get taken down. Mm-hmm. And there's just kind of, you know, they do such a good job at setting up the stakes in this movie. And then it just kind of peters out. Yeah. Cause they're like, we're on a farm now and we're going to make a, a tit joke at, <laughs> because he's, yeah. we're going to make Harrison Ford milk a cow. <laughs> we're going to have some fun there. I, I did appreciate the, uh, the Amish father's delayed reaction to that joke. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I I do agree that like Danny Glover and that other cop who I don't know if you even saw him before they show up at the end again like they just show up and you think Danny Glover is going to be a bigger foil than he is but it's actually the the other like guy the mastermind behind yeah. it all and just they they both just get shot or buried in a bunch of like <laughs> grain, <laughs> which is a nasty yeah. way yeah. to go, probably. Oh, man. Yeah, that was oh, horrifying. God, they say a, a lot of people on farms die that way um, mm-hmm. by falling into a grain silo yep. and then yeah. just like drowning, basically. Yeah, that's terrifying. Oof. Mm-hmm. Oof. Um. And, and yeah, that whole like end sequence was pretty good. It was a pretty well done action sequence. And I think they did a good job. I mean, for this whole a good thing they did in this middle section was they really set up the whole farm like uh, very well. Like you could almost like navigate it in your mind 
um, mm-hmm. by the time they got to the action sequence and they were like running around everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was pretty important actually for that whole sequence. The yeah. the relationship of the location of his car and trying to get out of the barn and like mm-hmm. telling the kid to run away, like all that. You you you're right. You could definitely see like where all the players were in your mind. Yeah, yeah, and then like in like that random secret passage from where his car was like in the barn that just like ran under um, the barn to like the cattle, I think where the the cattle barn was mm-hmm. at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was very like, well, well done, like setting up the entire just geography of this farm. Yeah. Um, it, it felt like it was, it felt like that sequence was written after scouting a location because Oh yeah. Like that felt like they filmed it in a real, like that's actually how all the buildings were connected, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, also I mean that, that last scene was like some good action too. Like Mm -hmm. with Harrison Ford just running around and like him being unarmed against three people with shotguns. Yeah. And then he just take, took them all down one by one. Yeah. Um, I, I really liked the uh, the reluctance on the part of uh, Danny Glover and the other guy to like really just run in there and guns blazing. Like especially my favorite part, I think, was when he had just buried the one guy in the corn or whatever, and he realizes that that's like his best chance at getting a gun was to mm-hmm. go in there and try to retrieve the guy's shotgun from underneath the corn. And he starts digging through the corn and then Danny Glover's on the other side of the, the silo and he can hear somebody in there. And he's like, that's not my buddy. Like he's, yeah. you know, I, and what do I do? Do I g- try to go in there? Do I call for help? Like he's just like scared and trying to figure <laughs> out what to do. I, I loved that like standoff while he's just listening to him rustle through the corn. Mm-hmm. Right. It wouldn't be funny if they set up John Book like they set up John Wick. And it's just <laughs> <Yeah>. like. <laughs> it's like he's the best motherfucker in Philadelphia. You can't. <laughs> what I'd love about. We're only three guys. We need 300 guys. <laughs> yeah. My favorite thing about that would be is that like he'd have all those skills just to use them on one guy pretty much. <laughs> like he gets to the point where the guy's buried and. In, in the grain he digs out a shotgun and then goes john wick on him like for one guy that doesn't really make any sense but that would just be yeah. funny to see i also love how he he takes out danny glover and then i loved how the um uh the chief of police is just like uh, he's just like the biggest weasel mm-hmm, like to right. leave him for last and he's obviously just like scared out of his mind um, it, it was just so great like it it was a nice turn you know because you expect him to like pull out three other guns right <laughs> he just has like three guns in his in his like jacket yeah but how how he's just like it, it's almost he's doing this just out of fear that he doesn't want to get caught for mm-hmm. like this like drug cover up that he's, he's just like desperately trying to do. Um, yeah. I, I think that's really one of my only other big criticisms of the film though, is his character because I think, 
I think that the expectation of Danny Glover's character as being like the main dude that he's up against is pretty well established at the beginning when they have that really dramatic like reveal of the boy pointing to the picture in the newspaper on the wall mm. of this cop who he witnessed kill somebody and it's like that was like really <laughs> this really dramatic moment and then like mm-hmm. not more than 20 minutes later we've supplanted him with this other dude who we they like try to shoehorn in a connection to Harrison Ford's character where like he taught him everything he knows you know and like mm-hmm. the and well, then he's like the one guy that that John Book would go to when you f- when he finds like police corruption right it's like and so, this is the only person I can tell right and so that was like it was weird that we we didn't get much more characterization out of either of those characters, out of Danny Glover or this guy, um, because it just felt kind of like, a, and, and you know, maybe it's just one of those things where it's hard to go back and watch movies in like very specific subgenres like this because mm. the older the movie is the more of an originator of the cliches it is so like maybe if you watched this back in 1985 you've been like oh shit this is like original as fuck but yeah, now I, I you're s- like you know I think those cliches were in place I, yeah I, that would 80s. be my assumption too uh, but you know I try to give things even the benefit of the doubt and I still don't really think it works so mm-hmm. yeah just when he's at the end of the film and he's like willing to call these murderers and like everything is just like I'm not buying it really if if he is if, he, if he's who we're led to believe that he's like the guy who taught Harrison Ford everything he knows and is like this great example and Harrison even like says something about uh, some quote about um, a cop when they've like lost their way or something like that mm-hmm. and he like recites that back to him as like a gotcha it, it just felt really weird because like well we've only ever seen this guy do terrible things you've not shown us anything other than like tell us mm-hmm. that he used to be a good guy so uh, th- that was my only other real complaint is that the villains weren't very well established and especially when you're going to force a twist like that. Yeah, but I agree. They could have made him out like a lot, fleshed him out more. So in the beginning of the movie, when they when he's like introduced, essentially, like, but they don't really share yeah. much. Yeah, they don't have like that scene where they ha- do the mentor thing is like really all you get. But it's just like you get no mentorship in that scene. It's all just exposition of Harrison Ford basically explaining like the thing about the drug cover up and like why Dan Glover is connected to it. Like it's, it's really just explaining to the audience what like we need to know. So he can get the fuck out of Dodge (laughs) and the like actual movie to start. And then you get the, cartoonishly villainous uh, interrogation of his partner in uh, the chief's office where he's like just straight up like threatening him and being not not at all sly about what's going on <laughs> like and then and then you find out that he right that he killed his partner is did I hear yes. that right um you never 
you never hear about what actually happens, but it's implied that it's either the chief of police or McPhee who did it. Right. And or so like whoever that third guy is. Yeah, we we just get this like very over the top villainous police chief where it, it felt a little it it took away from my thought the the relatively subtle middle act of the film. Uh, mm-hmm. It just it, there wasn't much subtlety there. Mm. Yeah, we needed a point of view from a like subplot where the point of view is with the the partner. Yeah. And so we can still like see the bad guys doing their bad guy thing. And I would have liked more humanizing scenes with the chief of police, like trying to rationalize his actions more. Like mm-hmm. we see, we don't see him struggling with much, even though we're told that he's a good cop and he taught Harrison Ford everything he knows. Like you would think there'd be a little more of an internal struggle there. And I guess we just never get to see that. Mm-hmm. Especially when the climax pretty much ends with an emotional appeal to his better nature. Like they didn't, he didn't defeat him. He talks him down, you know? And I would have bought that a lot more if we showed him struggling earlier on with what he was having to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of just came off as like a coward for no reason. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It, It came out more cowardice, more of a coward than it did someone who was like, realizing that they had done a bad thing mm-hmm. like it, it i didn't get that sense from him at all that he was having like a moment of clarity it was more of just like i i'm fucked if i shoot anyone here like you know <laughs> right uh one of the <laughs> one of the best scenes to come out of uh john book's partner's death though is like right after he finds out they're on the wagon back home because they had to go into town to a payphone. Yeah. And then they get stopped by like these I like hick guys that are like college yeah, bros. Yeah, these college bros mm-hmm. guys that are just like giving them a hard time and they're like, oh, this happens. Just don't worry about it. And Harrison Ford's like, I've had enough and just punches that one in the face like a bunch of times. <laughs> uh, I got a kick up. I love how he like nearly like blacks out <laughs> yeah. and then like you see him just like on the ground and there's just blood just gushing out of his nose. It's like, holy shit, what a punch. That that was a little out of place. It felt like that probably could have been cut and it wouldn't have hurt the movie at all. Yeah, yeah it was, it seemed like it was a, um, it, it, it's, it's one of those scenes that's in every white savory movie where it's like, no, I, the outsider is going to stand up to the bullies and like, try to get some respect and then it also like it like he has to like john book has to do something to like make his like presence known because then like that nosy neighbor who is like this is gonna hurt tourism (laughs) 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 after he says that he like immediately runs to the cops and it's like some amish dude just punched uh our head quarterback and it's like Amish Amish wouldn't do that it must be this guy that the police are looking for yeah yeah that was I guess, my that was my reading of a scene that was cut in this movie so pretty accurate, word for I word yeah I, I think that that sequence like it, it was it was trying to compare and contrast the like is he actually 
is doing that actually the right thing? Like they they want you to consider the Amish way. Like, is it better to just turn the other cheek and let uh, let people say those things about you and not be violent? Yeah, and put I ice think cream they, on your face. <laughs> yeah, oh. they. <laughs> yeah, literally turn the other cheek and let him put ice cream on the other cheek. <laughs> but like they and they kind of got there when they just like they showed just how much damage they did to the guy. And you're like, oh, fuck, was that a necessary response to what he did? You know, but they could have taken it a step further and like had the Amish people actually intervene and show that they're like they care about other human beings like, <laughs> mm-hmm. they just yeah. they all just are, they all just got back in their wagons and they're like ooh shit <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah and then uh at the end there's that great the great ending when the kid um rings the bell and then, like, all the Amish in, like, a five-mile radius just come running. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then basically, like, stop uh, stop anything else from happening. And uh, that was a great moment, but just back to, like, just the lack of characterization in a lot of these Amish people. Like, yeah. that would have made – that would have, like – it would have been a stronger moment if like we knew who Vigo Mortensen was, you know, right. or we would have known who that random blonde guy was. Yeah. Yeah. It was really just like a general callback to the community nature of the barn raising. Right. Like just yeah. showing that it's not it's not just out of necessity that they do these things for each other. Like they they'll come at the drop of a hat to help each other. But like, yeah, mm-hmm. we, we didn't we didn't have much characterization of any of those people that we that we saw. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going to make a joke that this should be remade into a television show and I was looking <laughs> up uh, actors who I'd recast uh-huh. and uh, I've decided to just recast the entire cast of Solo a Star Wars story <laughs> so, so you got Alden Ehrenreich as John Book you know fitting, fitting. Woody Harrelson is like who the chief of police um, Amelia, yeah. Amelia Clark is uh, is um, Rachel. Mm-hmm. You know, Donald Glover is I don't know. Uh, maybe <laughs> I don't want to give him the two black guy roles, but <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, we got you know Paul Bentley, uh, John Favreau, uh, Phoebe Walter Waller Bridge, the recently. <laughs> Uh, Emmy award winning she won like every Emmy a couple weeks ago Mm. now I'm just imagining Donald Glover like playing the the Amish father and they never say anything about it he's dressed like Lando (laughs) Curzian never mention it any last words uh, on this movie or you want to get to final thoughts Um, Uh, maybe if we want to touch on the the relationship with Rachel kind of a thing more. I don't know. Like they, and like yeah. she ends up like cleansing her, having a bath or whatever. And like, he just looks at her naked oh, for God. a while. Yeah. That was, was weird. So as shit. weird. I was like, first off, why are you staring? Second off? Like, what are you doing? Just standing here. <laughs> like, well, she like turns to him at, 
and like shows she's like she doesn't hide. Yeah, right. So she's right. just like, come get some, yeah. come get some, John Book. <laughs> It's <laughs> a good name. Yeah, it is. Hard boiled detective John <laughs> Burke, come get me. <laughs> I just me. felt like that, the relationship there just was weird. Like, it didn't, like, we kind of touched on it before, but it, like, it was, it only got more bizarre. And then they, like, she watched him put up that birdhouse that he accidentally hit with his car. And then she's like, <laughs> I gotta go out there and fuck that dude. Like, so they, like, <laughs> like she just walked, she puts her bonnet on the floor and was like, I'm gonna go kiss him. <laughs> yeah, like it did. It did book. feel. It did feel weirdly predatory in ways. Like, and not to mention the like, this person who is practically holding your life in his hands. Yeah, like it, it feels a little weird, right? Like the. It, it could be interpreted as like there's an expectation on his part that you put out, you know, and yeah. so it, all of that nope. stuff felt a little gross. But especially the way I guess I'm saying like the way he like intruded upon her while she's bathing. Right. Like that's like fucking rapey as shit. Right? Like, <laughs> it's, the camera lingered on his face just like two seconds long. too long. And, and he almost starts like drooling. It's fucking gross. Yeah, so, yeah it's, it's just I guess the, the way the movie frames it wants you to think like oh she wants this too but if that were real life like she'd be like oh god does he like do, am I gonna have to Who suck his dick? Who like, the fucking door open? <laughs> the Amish, like, it's apparently. not like he peeked in. It's not like he pushed the like open the door and he was like occupied. <laughs> well, right, and I think that's he, like he just like walked by and just like got a glance and then I think that's the movie like more. saying that she was inviting it, but it just yeah, it just yeah. feels weird. I mean, that's like eighties move like move, dramas for you. Like mm-hmm. they just right. the amount of weird sexual fuckery in these movies is so just off the charts. Yeah. So I just did not like Kelly McGillis in this part. Um, because there was just there seemed to be no chemistry between those two actors, and if um if there would have been like like at no part in this movie was I I was like I really hope these two kids work it out <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah like well, I never felt that I never felt that and when there's two actors that are like magnifying on screen. Like it's, it does most of the work that like, you know, poor characterization or poor writing, it can like overcome. Cause you're just like, man, these two people need to fuck right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They really don't give her much agency. Like the, the mm-hmm. strongest character piece that she gets is her, uh, dialogue with her father where she kind of rebukes him and says like no you can't judge him for what you've seen like he's more than you know and all this stuff it's like that that was the most she gets but even that is in service to his character right mm-hmm. like it's not mm-hmm. like she's saying like let me be my own woman like it's more defending him than anything so it, yeah and they her- don't even play it's it's such an easy card to play but they don't even play the kid card where he's like 
shown that he can be a good father to Samuel. Right, yeah. And she gets like goo goo eyes from seeing his like parental side. If anything, side. it's the opposite. She's like, why are you letting him hold that gun, you idiot? <laughs> He's like, here's a gun. I'll take the bullets out so you can point at anything you want. <laughs> Yeah, you'd think there would be a little more antagonism there <laughs> where, like, she somewhat blames him for bringing all this down upon her and her son, right? Because, like, he kind of does in a way, mm-hmm. but... Yeah. Yeah. And I also, it, that gun never gets fired off in the movie, right? Yeah, it's, I was going to mention that. I was like, that up and then I really 100% expected at the end the boy to go get the gun and shoot the dude and save Same. John Book. 100% thought that's where there's it was going. a line it's like the grandfather says I think he's like you don't you don't shoot people or something yeah, they he says some line it, yeah. yeah yeah it's like kid don't shoot anyone wink wink <laughs> wink wink yeah and he's like but what but I only shoot the bad people and <laughs> and the grandfather's like you know you can see in their hearts who is bad and who is good and I was like that's a pretty that's a pretty cool little moment I I like that sentiment a lot actually right. but mm-hmm. it, it felt a, totally like it was setting up for him for, for the, the the grandfather at the end to be like I guess I was wrong sometimes it is good to shoot people <laughs> <laughs> then he takes out a machine gun and just loads it up <laughs> puts sunglasses on <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's that other thing. Like he, that kid just gets no characterization. Like you think that that's the moment that they're going to set up some third act thing, but mm-hmm. like he most of the time in the movie he's he spends doing nothing, and then he runs at the end of the movie he runs across a cornfield, and then like turns back around and rings a bell, Ow. like. God, that's all I the just, kid does. I also just remembered the moment in in uh, classic Harrison Ford rage shouting, where he's like, "What are you gonna do? You gonna shoot me? You gonna shoot the kid?" And he like <laughs> yeah, puts the, the kid in front of him. I'm like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> I know. And then the, uh, Rachel's off on the side, like, "No!" Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, bitch. Of course. Why do you like him?" <laughs> that was like. Uh, that's probably a moment that would would have been parodied in like a Leslie Nielsen yeah. movie where he's like, what yeah. are you going to shoot me? You're going to shoot this kid? You're going to shoot your grandma? You're going to shoot this bus driver? You're going to shoot this basket full of puppies? Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> and the guy yeah. is basically just like, his, his response is basically, oh, I, I, I guess not. I, I Here's the gun. <laughs> it just, that whole like climax was like a kind of a letdown, honestly, because even though I, I like the sentiment of like, like I was saying earlier, appealing to that guy's better nature, but that was not how you do that. No. <laughs> you don't, you, yeah, man, that was weird. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about when he's like grabbing people and putting himself in front of them. It like cuts back to like, it cuts back to the, it cuts back to the kid's mom and then like, it keeps coming back to different people who like are scared <laughs> yeah. and then it's like you're gonna shoot this basket of puppies and it cuts back to a dog <laughs> just like getting sad <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, man. Oh. yeah that 
good, good stuff. Feels good to laugh. <laughs> All right. Let's get to final thoughts. Uh, for every movie, um, we close out with some final thoughts and give Harrison Ford a rating of one to five Harrisons. So, Neil, why don't you start us off with your final thoughts? Absolutely. Um <laughs> from the get-go this movie was kind of promising i besides like the beginning and end it really just meandered through the middle for the most part um there wasn't a ton like they could have filled a lot of that space with more touching moments or more you know b-side plot to kind of make you feel differently about like the main like antagonist or feel better about the protagonist or something or other but they just kind of like they kind of just farted around in the middle and it was just kind of like whatever um but at the beginning and the end had some promise i know we kind of joked at the beginning that like yeah it's opening weekend wasn't high but like why would you go see a detective movie bunch bunch of Amish people kind of a thing? And like, <laughs> I, 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 it, I, this did lead me to Wikipedia about the Amish. So, I mean, there's that. I don't know how much that's <laughs> worth, but, um, not, it's gotta be worth at least one. Yeah, Harrison, exactly. Right? Exactly. That's the conversion rate. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many times you can get me to pull up with an Amish Wikipedia page. Uh, but like, but like I ended up through the middle reading and being more fascinated about like actual Amish people than this movie. But like, it's not oh, bad. Like nothing about it is bad. I would say it's just like, it, it could have been better, like, and more fleshed out. And like, if they portrayed Amish people like accurately, like, yeah, you don't see that often. And it's kind of interesting. Like if they were in this scenario, like what would that be like? But I think they flopped it with like the love interest thing. Like if they maybe would have kept that out of it or made that a lot more realistic. I think like, I think it would have maybe come off a little bit better. But I'd have to say I give Harrison Ford as John Book. Uh, <laughs> I have to give it like I want to give it two two Harrisons just because it's it's not yeah. awful, but it's really not really worth watching. Mm. Tyler, yeah, I I think I'm going to be a little more generous. I I definitely think that this movie has a lot of flaws, but I also feel like the vast majority of them are the type of flaws that are a product of its time. And so you can watch it and still enjoy it, uh, like kind of just through that lens of history. Like, yeah, this movie was made like 35 years ago almost, you know? It, so there's like, there you can, there's a level of separation that I think you can really appreciate the good parts. Um, but it's still, it's still just like, uh, I don't know. One of those movies where I don't think I'd necessarily recommend it to people. Um, even though this is Harrison Ford's one and only uh, Academy Award nomination for Best Actor. Um, oh, really? Yes. Uh, I forgot I, to. I think his performance is pretty solid, but it, it's just a there's there's a lot of cliches and everything so it's just kind of a lot of baggage there that doesn't doesn't age as well as his performance so 
Um, but yeah, for all the reasons I've already mentioned, I, I like the movie better than you guys. I think I'm going to give it 3.5 Harrisons out of five. Hmm. Um, holy shit. <laughs> this, uh, this is actually shocking. It, so it won two Oscars for best writing. Um, best soundtrack. <laughs> a best film editing um but then it got six nominations best picture best actor for harrison ford best director cinematography art direction uh uh-oh and music (laughs) (laughs) i mean i can i can totally appreciate i think this movie has a really solid three-act structure like it Mm -hmm. it it feel it flows really well but it's the little moments in between that I think struggle um tough year 1986 <laughs> um man for best picture out of Africa one directed by Sidney Pollock I think I know that movie but it doesn't I don't really recognize it but the only one the only nominee that I know it besides witness is the color purple which is the mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg movie. Um, uh, wow. Weird. Weird. <laughs> weird time, the 80s. <laughs> um, so I actually really enjoyed this movie. I, I It feels like we were really poking fun at it a lot, and it, it maybe might come across as like a movie that you can just laugh at. But I actually thought it was really good and very like it's very like a competent movie. Like it makes sense that it would win, you know, get a bunch of nominations. Um, I did have a lot of problems, especially like the second half of the movie, but I feel like there's enough like good, like plot developments, like sprinkled out of this movie that really like keep you hooked. And there was a lot of moments where I was like, you know, laying down on my couch and then like something would happen and I'd be like, Oh shit. And then I like, I would like sit up. Um, this is also, uh, there will be links in the show notes, but this is like free on like a lot of streaming services, uh, ad supported obviously. But I mean, it's like low barrier barrier to entry. Like I would highly recommend like to go watch this. I think it's an enjoyable, like two hours like there's um uh there's some i mean harrison ford gives a solid performance and it's definitely not like the best movie that you can see but it's by far far and away it's not the worst movie you could see today <laughs> uh but i'm gonna give it a three i think three harrisons um yeah yeah, three Harrisons. All right. <laughs> um, okay, let's get to recommendations. Oh, shit. I cut my show notes in. Why do I always do that? Um, let's get to recommendations. Uh, on every episode, we will always leave you guys with some recommendations. So, Neil, you want to start us off with yours? Certainly. I have like a sleeper hit from like 2016, and I'm a fool for not having played it sooner. Uh, mm-hmm. But I 
picked up Titanfall 2 for like eight bucks one day, like had a sale for like PlayStation nice. or something like that. And the the single player is very good and the multiplayer is very good. Like it's incredible. Like I'm addicted to it right now. Like it plays so damn well. It's so damn well done with a combination of infantry and like mech titan combat like it's so good and like it has like a surprisingly good single player campaign for like from what i all heard from like the first titanfall like yeah it kind of was a little weak but like this one improved on it like tenfold and one thing i didn't know or didn't realize or like kind of like forgot until i started playing again is that like Respawn's next game, which was Apex Legends, it's like based in the same universe. Like all the guns are the same Mm -hmm. and shit like that. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, like this is this made this just a little bit more fun to me now. Uh, So if you uh, like first person shooters and like a really fast paced, like multiplayer first person shooter that also has like a pretty quick but like good first like story mode, like Give Titanfall 2 a, a try. It's super fun. Dude, both Titanfall games are, like, two of my favorite games of all time. Oh, I fucking love those games. It's so good. Like, the... It's so fun. The way they balance... My, like, I'm so impressed of how they balanced the, like, the combat, like, I guess in the multiplayer scenario of having Titans not be, like, overpowered, but still, like, powered enough to be cool, you know? Like... Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it is so cool to just like summon a giant mech yeah, right. like yep. that comes down from the sky. Yeah. Like it's yeah. so cool. God, there's so many like the mark of a great multiplayer like competitive game is when there's a ton of emergent possibilities for like kills and saves. And I've the combination of mechanics that they have, the sandbox you have at your disposal of tools and gadgets and robots and crazy shit is like so great for all the crazy moments that you end up creating when you play long enough. Like I I've never ever other than those two games used the uh, used the like xbox record that feature to take video clips of (laughs) stuff that i do more than those games like the those there are so many crazy moments that just happen all the time in that game i love it Mm -hmm. and man respawn is just like on their grind this year like apex legends was huge and then they have that star wars uh jedi fallen order game coming out I'm not that excited about that, but God, if they announce a Titanfall three, I'm gonna flip my shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully they do. Yeah, it sounds like they're too busy to make well, it. I, I heard that Apex but, Legends took the place of Titanfall three, but I'm not sure. Like it, that, yeah. it could, like that game is literally still like a free to play just battle royale game. Mm-hmm. So like, there's so much more that could happen with that that we don't even know about. Yeah, yeah true. Oh man, Max! Eddie Max to oh, the Apex Legends. That'd be dope Max. as fuck. <laughs> I'd be in. Yeah, I we played that a little bit and then kind of dropped off, but I'd be back. Uh, Tyler, uh, you got a rec- recommendation? I sure do. Uh, so over this last weekend, I decided to experiment with some like um, 
little home tech projects, and one of the first ones I wanted to try was uh, something called a pie hole. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> go on. A, yes, uh, a pie hole is a. Uh, it's technically a piece of software that you run on a device called a Raspberry Pi. Um, so you've maybe heard of these, a Raspberry Pi. It's basically a little um, like credit card sized, literally credit card sized uh, Linux computer. So it's just like a computer on a board, this tiny little board. It's got like everything you could possibly need. It has Ethernet, wireless, Bluetooth, um, USB plugs, micro SD card for storage, CPU, everything on this one little little board. And it runs Linux. And somebody created this application for it called Piehole. And the way it, what it does is it sits as a layer on top of your local network at, in your house and routes all of your domain name traffic through it which allows you to filter domains. And so this application, uh, its primary function then is to filter ads at a network level. So what, what you can do is you can subscribe to lists of known ad domains, and then all of your devices that connect to your local network in your home over Wi-Fi or hardline ethernet cable all ads, well, most ads, I should say, are blocked. And you don't have to use an ad blocker on your devices. You don't have to install stuff on your devices. You just set up this little device as a uh, basically a gateway for all of your other uh, network traffic, and it just works. And it's fucking awesome. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I've only been testing it out for about 24 hours. Um, but so far, I've discovered that over 50% of my network traffic is ad related. Oh my God. <laughs> you get this like crazy, you get this crazy dashboard you can look at and like see every blocked uh, domain request and like all the, the, uh, the requests that haven't been filtered. And so like you can get super granular with it if you want, or if you just want to set it up and set it and forget it, you could just subscribe to a bunch of lists that people have curated online and just let it do its thing. Um, I, it's funny. We were for this podcast watching, uh, the, the ad supported version of witness and it's on Hulu or on uh, voodoo. And, um, I I found out that my uh, the pie hole was not blocking the ads on Voodoo, and so I investigated it, like dinked around in the the cure the the logs a little bit, and found which domain server was getting through, and was able to block it, and then restarted the show, and then the ads were gone. So wow. like, if you yeah, if, if you if you know your way around, like if you're Let's just say if you can set up your own wireless network and like dink around in the um, in the uh, admin panel for your router, you can probably figure this stuff out. Um, so the Pi, the Raspberry Pi costs about uh, depending on which model you get, anywhere from like forty to eighty bucks. I think um, I bought a little kit off Amazon that's coming 
in the mail um, that's about a hundred bucks because right now I actually have it running on a Linux laptop that I had sitting around just to test it out. Uh, but I'm uh, getting a, a standalone Raspberry Pi so I can have it take up less space in my entertainment center. But yeah, I love this thing and uh, highly recommend it if you have any uh, any that little bit of a techie green thumb where you just want to like mess around with shit. Um, I, I would highly recommend you give it a try. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, I've always wanted to get a Raspberry Pi because they're so oh, yeah. cheap, but I've like never had a like use for it. So mm-hmm. maybe I'll they're have to fun. try this out. I, uh, the reason I decided to try it out is because I have actually I've worked with Raspberry Pis uh, at my job uh, doing um, software, custom software for some clients in manufacturing. They have like little automated units on their production floor where they um, needed some custom software. And so I'd, I'd gotten into them that way and read more about them and stuff. And yeah, I just decided to try this out. So it's, it's really neat. Cool. Awesome. Very cool. Um, I have another music recommendation. So the band, a giant dog just released, um, a cover album. They covered the album neon Bible by arcade fire. Um, in its entirety. Um, huh. And uh, I was never, I was never a big Arcade Fire fan. I just kind of like never like got into them, but I've been a fan of A Giant Dog for several years now. And they are, they're, they're a rock band that kind of verges on punk. Like, I think describing them as a punk band is probably um it probably describes their sound better but neon bible is is this album that is definitely uh, not punk yeah (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. definitely not punk (laughs) but it's funny that like the lyrics are very punk like it's about it's about like anxieties and hate and just like all these things that like you know breed those emotions Hmm. and it's um a giant dog like really adapted it like very well to like their own sound and it just like works perfectly um and even like you know they change most of the songs but like the structure of them are very much intact it's i think it's a very like um it's very like uh, it honors the original work very well, but um, it's one of those. This is one of the albums that like uh, it came out, and I listened to it the day it came out, and I was like, "Yeah, this is cool. Like, this is it's really cool that they did this." And then like a week later, I had like one of the most stressful weeks of my entire life, and I just found myself just constantly listening to this album and just like just like feeding adrenaline off of this music and it got to a point where I almost like couldn't stop listening to it like I was just so enamored by it Um, and it's so it's so good it's so incredible Um, right now it's only it's only streaming they have it's a weird like release because it's it's they did the cover due to like a 
like some limited edition thing. Um, so hopefully they'll be like releasing it on vinyl or on some other form, but I think it's on almost every streaming service. So you should definitely, definitely give it a listen. Nice. Do they, do they maintain that, uh, arcade fire sound where like a lot of their songs like start really simple and build and build into this kind of like orchestral level, like crescendo. Oh yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I'm all about that sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just an incredible like album. It's an incredible like set of songs because they really like, even like halfway through a song, it'll just like change to mm-hmm. something different or just another different sound. And it was very fun. Like, um, going back and listening to the arcade fire version of neon Bible and just like how similar the two albums are, but like the sound is just so it, they just could not be like more dissimilar. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, very good. And if you've never heard a giant dog, definitely like go back and listen to some of their more music. Cause they're absolutely incredible. Um, they visited, uh, Des Moines once and they played at a music festival and I saw them just out of like a recommendation that like a few friends have said like go go see this band and I was like all right whatever so I went to see them and I was completely blown away and so then I looked them up on Facebook and saw they were playing another show at a bar like that night and I was like, I was like, fuck it, I'm going. And so I saw them <laughs> nice. twice live in one in one day. <laughs> um, it was incredible. Nice. All right. That is it for this episode of Credits Due. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening in, watching along. Um, our next film will be the film Working Girl. Um, very. I, this is a film i have not seen though i have heard a lot about it um yeah i i have not seen it either but i like i just that name is like drilled into my head but i can't picture what it is at all Mm -hmm. so yeah um i mean harrison ford sigourney weaver melanie griffith uh alec baldwin like it's a bomb got some alver oliver platt (laughs) <laughs> oh, sorry for that. Um, uh-oh. 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 We got Kevin Spacey, too. Oh, shit. Oh. All right. All right. <laughs> um, but aside from that, looking forward to seeing that movie. I, um, <laughs> uh, yes, I think it will be a fun conversation. Hopefully it'll be a, uh, a fun film to watch, too. So until then, Tyler, why don't you give us some plugs? Oh, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Tyler Owen. Hey, you can find me, Neil, at Dino Neil Man on Twitter. And you can listen to my music podcast, Pivotal Tracks. Um, you can look that up at uh, Pivotal Tracks on anywhere that you get this podcast as well. And you can follow the show at Credits Due Pod, um, both on Twitter and Instagram. So, again, thank you very much for 
listening. We'll see you in two weeks when we talk about Working Girl. And remember, as always, if we'd made love last night, I'd have to stay or you'd have to leave. <laughs> Classic. Classic.